Hey, I spent, uh, I spent a week at the Billy Graham Training Center in Asheville, North Carolina, but it was beautiful there. But there's no place in the world I'd rather be than with you here this morning. No place. I mean that. No place I'd rather be than right here. Amen? And uh, I mean that with all my heart. Um, I just want to say something about, you know, we, we really enjoyed through the summer. It was nice bringing everyone together, right? The energy of that, everybody in the auditorium. The problem, the reason we went to two services uh, originally was because um, we have a parking issue, number one. When, when, when this place is full, we don't have enough parking. And with future building, we're not sure we want to put a parking lot where we're going to want to put a building. So we didn't want to rush and start paving more area. So uh, the, the, the second reason we started to have two services is because um, of the advantage of choice. Uh, I, I ran into, uh, when, I, when I went to uh, uh, buy my last car, the general manager there uh, told me, he said, I visited your church, I wanted to come, but you didn't have an early service, and I have to be at the dealership at 12 o'clock, so I couldn't come. So when you have multiple services, it gives other people that couldn't come the opportunity to come. It also is good for you if you have a family outing or something you need to get to, you come to an early service. Um, so... Uh, well, the third thing that, that happened was not, I don't know if it, we really planned it, but what ended up, we, we, when we set the nice couches in the back and we redid the room, and it sort of relaxed the room, and people began to say when they came, you know, I feel like I'm coming home. And so we really like that casual environment that it creates to have the seating in the back, and you can sit there with your coffee, or especially some of our folks who have some physical challenges, uh, it's nice to be able to sit in those chairs. So we are going to continue uh, with two services. Uh, now, what we have heard through the summer, we, we heard s- some people said, we'd like it if the second service was a little earlier. And, and so, and that's especially important during football season, right? <laughs> you can have lunch before kickoff. So we're, 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 uh, we're pretty sure that in October we're going to, this service will stay the same. It may change by 15 minutes. It may back up to 9. Would that matter to you if it was 9 instead of 9.15? Would that be okay if it was 9? Okay. So we might back it up 15 minutes. The second service will be 10.30 or 10.45. That way people can get out and have lunch before kickoff. Um, well, you know, I'm going to do a Joel Osteen thing right now. Uh, I can't do it as well as Joel, but I'm going to do a Joel Osteen thing. He tells a little story before he preaches. It may have nothing to do with the sermon. This sort of does. It's about three rural pastors. Uh, one was a redneck Pentecostal. The other was a Universalist Unitarian. And the third was a Southern Baptist. And they were friends. And they were all having problems in this rural community with bats getting into the church. And, the, the, and they were discussing one day, the Pentecostal uh, redneck said, I, well, I took my shotgun over there at the church and started shooting them, and I did a lot of damage to the building, and they didn't phase them. I still got bats. And the, the Unitarian Universalists as well, we don't, you know, we don't own any guns, and so we would never uh, do that. So I... I, I I captured them all alive, and I transported them 50 miles away to their natural habitat. 
a humane thing to do, you know. And uh, they beat me back to the church. <laughs> and the Southern Baptist guy says, I, I took care of mine, no problem. So what'd you do? He said, well, I baptized them in water and made them members of the church, and I haven't seen them since. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that, huh? I'm going to start a new series today, and it's call, call, called, <laughs> it's called, and I'm going to jump ahead, uh, really, uh, originally I was going to start, you know, you usually start a series with explaining what the call means and things like that. I'm not going to build that foundation, but you're, you're good, you're smart, you can, you can deal with that. I'll kind of jump in the middle, because last Sunday was Vision Sunday, and we talked about the church. So I just want to continue talking about the church today. And so I'm going to talk about the call to be the church. Now, uh, you should have, even though you pr- might have gotten it last Sunday, you should have gotten another vision card, uh, partner card. And um, I, we really want you if, you, if this is your home church, and you, ta- you, you plan for the, the sh- at least the short term, you plan to be here, and uh, we, would, we really want you to sign it because there's... There's certain communication uh, we're going to do and certain things we will, we will initiate that we will, we will look at this list. Who are the people that really let us know, I want to be here, you're my pastor, you're the pastor staff, old staff are my pastors, and, the, and that's the commitment you're making. This is not a, this is not a commitment that uh, you're going to serve four hours a week, or you're going, to, you're going to give half your income to the church, or you're going to mortgage your house and give the money to us. It's nothing like that. This is just says, this is my home church. This is my spiritual home, and this is where I am, at, at least at the present time, until God directs otherwise. And so it's very important to us that you sign this, if that is what you're saying. If you're, if you're, if you're checking us out, that's fine, too. We love you, and we're, we're happy that you're checking us out. But uh, we really want to know those of you who, who, who kind of want to go to that next level, right? So that's what, the, the, at the end of the service, I'm going to bring this back up. Now, the, I, this is, but this is a very serious thing, your call to be the church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, give a couple of uh, quotes here that I, that I actually did in social media. And... Um, and, and the first quote, I was, you got to keep in mind, I was writing it for, when I write on social media, I put it on social media, I try to consider the unchurched in there. So I wasn't necessarily writing it, I wasn't thinking I was writing an introduction to the sermon. But the reaction I got to it, and when I reread it, I thought that really sets the stage for what I want to say about what I really feel is uh, really important to the, to the times that we live in. I feel that the times we're living in, that that even though yes we want to yes every church should want to grow because everybody who's sitting in the seat on Sunday every church should want to be full absolutely because everybody who's sitting in a seat on Sunday is another person who's hearing the gospel, another person who's 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 hearing the truth of God's word. So yes, it's vitally important. But sometimes we have to change our emphasis, and so I think the emphasis right now. Is, is, is on community. The emphasis must be on relationships that, that you invest in and invest in you and nurture you. So 
This is a call to be the church, but it's also the call to be a community within the church. And here's what I said. Um, If you feel the world around you is a bit crazy, don't curse the crazy. But create a little community of sanity in your home, a friend group, and our church. Naturally, today I'm going to focus on the church. A community can be a group of two or more where love and loyalty are paramount. Truth is spoken, but anything said can be challenged. No one stays offended when their truth is questioned. I highly recommend making Holy Scripture the final authority in your little community of sanity. Disagreeing on what a passage means is not the same as questioning Scripture's authority. Take great pride in the distinctiveness of your community. A start might be to think about who is likely to attend and be genuinely sad at your funeral. And uh, uh, Diane Pepero actually responded to that, and she actually redid my outline from last Sunday, reworded it a bit, which is she did a good job of rewording it and, and putting it in the context of that quote. And she also included a, a Robert F. Kennedy quote that I thought was really good and really really speaks to what I'm feeling in my heart. It's not more bigness that should be our goal. We must attempt rather to bring people back to the warmth of community, to the worth of individual effort and responsibility, and of individuals working together as a community to better their lives and their children's future. I think that's a really good quote. Now, I want to give you three scriptures that speak to this idea of God calling us not only to be saved, but also to be churched, if that's a word. Acts chapter 2, I'm not going to, I don't have that uh, as a scripture I'm going to put out there, but uh, the last, uh, near the end of Acts chapter 2, it says, the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. He was showing that, that, yes, being saved and being churched is a separate event in your life. He's obviously showing that you could be saved and not be churched, because he said that. But but he he, he was very clear that he was not only interested in saving people from their sins, saving them from eternal damnation, but he was interested in what would happen to you between, you know, you, you've probably heard the little poem about the dash uh, on your birth date and your death date, the dash. He's really interested in the dash. He's really interested in the in-between. He's interested in how you're going to do the journey, who you're going to do the journey with is very important. He added them to the church. He didn't give them their salvation card that they held in their wallet or uh, on their cell phone. He didn't, he didn't give them their, their QR code that said, uh, uh, th- this is what I'm going to show. You know, I just flew, so I put, now you, get, you put the QR code on your phone and you, and you scan it when you walk through the deal. And uh, some people think that's, that's what the getting saved is all about. You know, they're going to get their QR code and when they get to heaven, they can, get on the, they can go in, you know. Well, uh, we won't get into the theology of that. But God has something more for us than just being ready for the end. He's got the in-between. So he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Think about that. 
You're the body of Christ. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I mean, what if your hand decided it wanted to live on the side of your head? That would be weird. <laughs> and useless. <laughs> I need that hand right where it is. It works very, very it's extreme. If you ever think about how much you can do with a hand, with a hand and maybe you're here today and you have a deformity or something like that with your hand, so you know, or maybe I don't think there's anyone today that's lost a hand, but you maybe there are that I just can't see out there. So you know about that. So th this body metaphor is pretty, pretty important. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The end of time he's talking about. Then there's Romans 12.10-13. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, rather serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So he's, he's, he's very, Paul is very clearly saying, and I know this can feel a bit uncomfortable, it can be uncomfortable if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower or you're not churched yet, it can be uncomfortable to, 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 to realize that, that group identity was not just something that, um, so, was not just a progressive idea, it was a biblical idea. That, that group identity, and we won't get into the theology of that, but group identity is a thing, and God has a plan for group identity. And as a Christian, God wants you to develop a group identity with these people down at your church. I could spend the next few minutes trying to make the scriptural argument for making a congregation your home church and your spiritual family, but instead I'm going to start by telling you how I live these verses. Not, with, not without failure, I'm often flawed in how I live it out. I have times when I, I don't give it 100%. I've also grown. This is a very important thing to know. I've grown in this perspective with decades of experience. So don't be surprised if you don't yet mirror all of my attitudes toward the call of the church. I've been doing this for a very, very long time. Uh, there are times I probably don't show my deep feelings for the church as I should. Although I can't imagine it, reality says that the day would come when could come when this would no longer be my church. However, as it stands right now, I want you to know I'm all in. I'm called to you. You are my church. The idea of being called to serve and be served, worship with, walk with, call a particular group. Your home church is clearly taught by all those passages I gave you and many more. But as I said, I want to begin with a personal testimony of my perception of myself in relation to you, my church. I wrote these out as I sat on the plane going into Philadelphia. If I'm hurting and I need someone to hold me close until the hurt goes away, you're the people I will turn to. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. When I'm crushed beneath the burdens of life, I will expect people in this room to get under the load with me. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You are my church. 
When I'm out of joy, hope, confidence, peace, and serenity, I'm going to borrow some of yours. I'm called to you. I'm all in. You're my church. When the world rejects me, some of you at least will receive me. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. When some people walk out of my life, you will walk into my life. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. When I think of whose funeral I will attend and be genuinely sad, and who will attend my funeral and be genuinely sad, it's you. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. If I need to expose my ideas to others to see if they're valid, I'm going to test them out on you. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. I had a real experience about this that I experienced this week. One of the reasons I went to North Carolina was uh, this conference was put on by a parachurch organization, and they had asked me to write a paper on culture shifts. And so I wrote a paper. They wanted five culture shifts that will impact the church in the future, or are impacting the church now. And so I, I worked really hard on that paper, and I met with the CEO, CEO of the organization for a couple of hours, and we went over what I had written. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the shifts that I wrote about was competing religions. We now have competing religions in the culture. And um, among those competing religions are environmentalism. Environmentalism has become a competing religion. And I'm, I, I care about the environment, okay, so please. Uh, clean air, clean water, all this stuff. If we, if, we can, if we can turn down the temperature of the earth, by all means, let's do it. But that's different than it being a religion. So I wrote about that, and, and uh, I realized where I got that whole thing was I'd, I'd, Gene Morfus had come over to my office one day. Some of you know Gene. He's in, he'll probably be in the second series. But uh, I knew, you know, Gene was a CFO of several major corporations before he retired. CVS, Zales Jewelers, Francesca's. David's bridal, all these things. Oh, he's a smart guy, you know. So I asked him one day, he came to my office, and I, I got my notebook out. I said, tell me, Gene, I'm working on five shifts that will impact the culture. And he said, competing, as if he used the word competing religions, but that's what he meant. And, and then he wrote this thing for me on environmentalism, and I'm sitting with this uh, CEO of this ministry, and he says, I really like this one on environmentalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was a great idea of mine, huh? <laughs> Sitting around you is so much smarts, wisdom, ability. Imagine, imagine if we closed the doors and said, we're going to start. I, I, just, I think about this sometimes. I, I look around the room and I think, what if we just shut the doors and started a company, a commercial enterprise? We could kill it. There is so much ability in this room. There's people in this room who just about everything you need to know how to do, somebody in this room knows how to do it. There are people who know how to build. There are people who know how to manage money. There are people... 
That's the church of Jesus Christ. None of us have it all together, but together we have it all. (laughs) Um, When I am trying to get to sort out my feelings about a world that's gone mad, I'm going to sort that out with you. I have. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. When I'm compelled to obey God by serving Christ through others, you're my first, or you're my first serve. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. When I need to demonstrate that I love people the way I love Jesus, you're my first thought, my first opportunity. I'm all in. I am called to you. You are my church. Since I I need people who need me, I've chosen you to be those people for who I will strive to make myself necessary to you. Let me illustrate what I mean by that. Tommy Barnett built a megachurch before we heard of megachurches. Built one in Davenport, Iowa, and then he went to Phoenix, Arizona. And I think it was actually in Davenport, Iowa, where he would go to the office every, most pastors get up very early on Sunday morning because we're usually not ready. <laughs> so we get up at 4 o'clock on Sunday morning, you know. So he would go to the office at 4, uh, four o'clock and this nice lady in the church began to realize this. So she started taking coffee and donuts and, and don't do this because I don't eat donuts, all right? So don't do this. And I don't come to the church. Uh, um, I, I get up early as I did this morning but I, I have a study at home so uh, I'm not suggesting you do this because uh, some nice person will do it because that's who you are some nice person will say well he would like coffee everywhere yeah. uh, but anyway this woman would bring him coffee and donuts every Sunday morning like 4 or 4.30 in the morning and one morning she doesn't show up and he said, uh, he said I'm sitting at my desk and I'm getting mad where is she? I think she had gone out of town or sick or something. I don't know. He said, I realized at that moment she had made herself necessary in my life because she had served me and met a need in my life and she had, she had created a, a, a situation where I needed her. That is a cool thing to do. And, and some of us are going around with our feelings hurt all the time that people don't need us. Well, do something to make them need you. Do something in their life to make yourself necessary to other people. Because none of us deserve to be on this planet. None of us deserve to breathe this wonderful air. None of us deserve what we have. We don't, we don't deserve acceptance. We don't deserve respect. We have to earn it. Now, that's an old-fashioned idea, but I still believe it, right? <laughs> when I lose my way, and I have to find my way back, I'm going to do that with you. You're my home. You're my family. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. When I fall into sin, and I need a place to confess that sin, it's here in this room, that I have confessing, confessor relationships. 
And I've done it before. I've done it. I could tell you of a time. I won't. I won't. From this, this is not the right context to have a catharsis. <laughs> to have a personal catharsis. But I did it one time. And it specifically stands out to me when I confess my sin to a brother in this congregation. See, uh, I, I'll get it. I'm going to get into that a little bit more in just a minute. Let, let me move on. When, when, uh, when I need to be fully restored from a moral or spiritual failure, I'm dependent on you restoring me. You're my church. I'm called to you. I'm all in. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be something powerful to be reckoned with. Think about that. Think about that verse. Now, now we, I, know, I know we don't we don't do the Roman Catholic thing of confessing to the priest, but we are supposed to confess our sins to other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, in our church. Galatians 6.1, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live with the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now the Holy Spirit is awfully powerful, and God has a lot of angels up there. Couldn't he give that job to them of restoring a, a brother or a sister who's fallen into sin? I'll, we'll have to ask him when we get there. But for now, he's given that job to the local church. He's given the job to the local church that when a member of the church falls into sin, the members of the church, God said, it's your problem. <laughs> so he, and now, now here's Paul in a letter he wrote to the church at Corinth regarding an incestuous man, a man, a man who is actually having a sexual relationship with his father's one of his father's wives. He had previously had to correct the Corinthian church for not confronting him. Now he's telling why they need to stop punishing the repentant, sinful man and listen to his words. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he might be overcome. He may be overcome by discouragement. Let me repeat, to be fully restored from my moral and spiritual failure, I am dependent on you restoring me. To say it differently, to feel God's forgiveness at the deepest level emotionally, I need you in my local church to forgive me and comfort me. The Message Bible translates 2 Corinthians 2, 7. Up three Sundays in a row, I've, I've promoted the Message Bible. They should give me a residual on the sales. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him in it. My counsel now is to pour on the love. <laughs> this is huge. When it's time to celebrate the blood and body of Christ, I must do it with you. You're my church. I'm all in. I am called to you. When I need to obey the directive to praise God in the sanctuary, in the midst of the congregation, this is my sanctuary, and you are my congregation. I'm all in. I am called to you. You are my church. If I'm going to experience the transformational, spiritual revival of my dreams, and I still believe it's possible, it's going to be with you. If they have a revival in, in some other church in the community, that's not here. 
if I'm going to experience revival, I have to experience it with you. And that's exciting to me. I'm all in. I'm called to you. You're my church. The Bible says in Mark 3, 14, and I love this. This is one of my, if you've heard me quote this verse or say it many times or read it many times, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He appointed the 12 that he might be with them. A part of my joy is that I get to be with you. What's really fascinating to me, when Jesus came, he gathered 12 to be with him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out, as I just read to you. Then later, we read in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, he had 72 that he appointed and he sent out. And during, uh, in Acts 1.15, it says, during this time, about 120 disciples or believers were together in one place. Did you ever think about the fact that Jesus created a congregation? He created a congregation. He created a group of, a group of church members. He established a church. That way, that way, they were ready for Pentecost. They were ready for what was going to happen in Pentecost because they spent three, and by some calculations, they spent four years walking together, being together. They were ready for what God was going to do because they were with one another. You contrast Rabbi Jesus with other rabbis. Other rabbis call people to themselves. Jesus called people to one another. And I could show you that in about 20 passages in the Gospels. Jesus chose disciples. Other rabbis waited on disciples to choose them. Jesus was the only rabbi in the East, Middle East there, who went and chose his disciples. Other rabbis, the disciples, chose them. Other rabbis merely passed on their teaching. Jesus insisted on being in close relationship with his disciples. He did everything with them. They didn't just show up for class. Jesus built his church more than he built his ministry. He said, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. You're going to do greater works than I've done because I'm going to my Father. So why does God want you to belong to a church and not just be a believer? For the reason he does everything. For God is love. USA Today uh, uh, is quoted by uh, Rebecca McLaughlin in an article that caught my eye the other day. The title of the article was Increasing Secularization is Nothing Short of a Public Health Crisis. Secularization, meaning you don't go to church, you don't believe in, you don't have anything to do with God, you're just, you're just it's all about human stuff. Here's, here's, let me read the article to you. USA Today, op-ed, or just a part of it. Uh, religion may be a miracle drug. That's according to the USA, USA Today op-ed. That was the title of it. Harvard professor Tyler Vanderveel and journalist John Seneff wrote, if one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at, not, at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? They went on to outline the multiple mental and physical health benefits correlated with attending church once a week or more, including reduced mortality by 20% to 30% over a 15-year period, 
Studies have shown that those who participate in religious services at least once a week are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, and are less likely to commit suicide than those who don't. And these effects aren't slight. One large-scale study of U.S. women found that those who attended religious services at least once a week were five times less likely to kill themselves than those who never attended. I, I was so stunned by this, Rebecca speaking, that when I first read the research that I asked Vanderveel whether the correlation between religious participation and lower suicide rates was really, uh, was really that pronounced. He replied, yes, studies suggest three- to six-fold lower rates that may be one of the most protective factors known for suicide. His latest research on deaths of despair, in quotes, published earlier this month, is similarly striking. A study which followed 66,492 women and 43,141 men over 16 and 26-year periods respected. Now, that is some control group, my friends. Just let that sink in, the numbers that are there. It, it controlled for multiple factors, including age, race, geographic region, income, health status, health, behavior, smoking, mental health, other forms of social support, found that compared to those who never attended, women who attended religious service once a week or more were 68% likely to die, or less likely, let me get that clear, less likely to die deaths of despair. And men, 33% less likely. Again, these results are quite startling, especially for women. God wants you to come to church because he loves you. God wants you to join a church because he loves you. Because he has, he only does stuff that's good for you. He doesn't do anything that's not in your best interest. Nothing. I read a God story recently. I fell in, I've fallen in love with God stories. And I read a God story recently by a man named Mike Newhouse. I'm going to read it to you now. One day, after years of not attending church, I attended when I was 18. I met a priest who told me he was glad I attended. No need to focus on my sins just yet. <laughs> I like that. No need to focus on my sins just yet. We're going to get to that later. <laughs> uh, just so glad I came, right? Over time, he asked me to read the Gospel of St. Mark, a short read, maybe 20 pages. Months went by, and I was stuck waiting in my car and decided to read it. I sobbed reading it. As a skeptic, it was hard to deny the love that the pages were drenched in. Free love and loving for the sake of loving. No other agenda was this man Christ other than convincing you that you were created in love to love. It was such a stark contrast to what the world teaches us. It's about money women, and being a dog in a dog-eat-dogs world. This man had to be divine. It wasn't like Muhammad or Buddha. This love was unconditional. I became a believer right then and there, and it took me five years to slowly shed my millennial shell of being anti-church and anti-organized religion. Over time, I began to make friends, some, some my age and others in their 40s and through 70s, uh, 40s through 70s, and I began to share common interests such as going to movies, games, hikes, road trips with people like me that were on a journey to follow Christ. When I went to confession for the first time in five years, I did so as a believer. And for once, I was able to show my true self. 
my greed, vulnerability, lust, anger. I was able to confess it and vent to my priest. I was able to be honest about the worst things and thoughts I've committed. I felt like a rock had been lifted off my shoulders. I was then able to begin the path to have my sins forgiven and forgiving myself and others. It taught me a balance that a world built upon revenge doesn't. Even if every confession or priest isn't perfect, it still put me in a better position than, uh, than, psycho, than psychology that simply teaches relativity. Joining a community of individuals who are striving to follow Christ and better themselves in a world that is constantly pushing them to look to materialism for all the answers. I think, I think we've made a big mistake in the church. By preaching a concept like this for 35 or 45 minutes, then challenging everyone to fully surrender to the idea that we just presented. Think about that. That's a pretty bizarre thing. If you, if you were on one side, and then I preach for 30 minutes and say, now, do a, do a 180. It's really not how people change. Now, maybe, maybe you're totally ready to do 180, so that, that, there's, that, there's those people that are ready. But it, it's really not how Jesus did it. Jesus did not start his first conversation with those who he wanted to be close to and say, will you surrender your entire life Everything you have today, well, I just met you. I just met you. I think I'm not quite ready. No, he didn't do that. He said, he said, follow me. And you know what follow me meant? Read the, read the Gospels. It meant, I'm going to come to and spend the day at your house. It was organic. It was natural. You know? It, it's how commitment works. It, Think about, think about marriage proposal for a minute, for a second. It, what if you looked across the room today, and I hope this happens to you. I'm praying for you. And you look across the room, you see someone you feel very drawn to in a romantic sense. And what if you just walked in the end of service, Hi, my name is Joe. Will you marry me? How many of you think that's going to work? One time in like one billion times it will work. And if it works, it should scare you. <laughs> it should scare you. Because that person that just said yes has probably made a, a lot of other rash commitments. <laughs> no, it's not how it works. So, so when we say, when we say, make this your home church, when we say, partner with us, we understand that. We're just asking you, for some of you, first step. Now, we're asking everybody, if, if you're already signed it last year, sign it again. Because people change their minds. People shift in their commitments. So we're asking you to sign it again. But I want you to take this not as some unspiritual thing, some, some oh, you know, signing uh, like, a, like a, a, a subscription to Daily Wire or something, you know? <laughs> this is not a subscription. This, this is a, this is a, I'm going to stick my toe in the water of relationships 
with God's people. I, I don't know where it's going to go, and I don't know, I'm not ready to say all that stuff that you said, talking about me, but maybe a couple of those I'm ready to say. And I'm going to let Jesus tell me where to go to church. I'm going to let him tell me who I'm going to start building, venturing, and maybe, maybe building relationships with. I'm going to let him tell me, and I'm going to let him guide me. And I, want, I just want to, I'm ready to go on this adventure and just see what God is going to do. Remember, as you said today, your life is a cumulative um, effect of all the decisions that you've made. Making the right decisions is the most important thing you can do. Because one good decision leads to another. So, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as Abraham plays. Doesn't he play beautifully? Doesn't he beautifully? And now, I, I just want you to, to pray. I'm going to pray with you because I want this to be a very, I, I want this to be a really thing you take seriously. That this is going to be part of your life. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we love each other. I feel so much love in this room. Every time I stand up here, every time I walk the halls, I feel so much love. And I, I love these people, and you love these. I feel the love from these people. And um, I just want that to grow, Lord. And I, I know, just like the, with the early church, God, I believe there's a Pentecost coming for Bethany Community Church. And we're going to need the people that are joined together to be ready for those hungry, searching, hurting people that you're going to send to us in the fall, in the winter, in the spring of next year. You're going to send hurting people going to come in here. And they need, they need a, a family that's, that's connected, that love each other, and it can start including them in that love. I just pray you'll do that in our hearts and lead us and guide us in Jesus' name.